composed the system. And he's just been marvelous to work with. Uh, the, the process is slow. Uh, I thought we would have a definite answer last December, which would have been 12 months after we began. Uh, but it's Italy. <laughs> and, it's, and it's also, during that interim, uh, the laws of zoning in this Toscana region changed. So they started the process, and then suddenly you have to restart everything, right? And also the mayor was about to retire, then he decided to run for re-election. Re and he, when I met with him a year and a half ago, he was very sympathetic, he and the vice mayor. I also met the architect, who's kind of a, in charge of over, overseeing what can be built. And they were all very sympathetic. And so that was a year and a half ago. I was here again about a year ago, and I met again with Giorgio. Um, and we have a definite agreement with the Dara Protezione, the organization that owns this property, that if the building permit is granted, uh, then I, I'm not obliged to buy, I don't have to buy, but, the, but Francesco, with representing his organization, we signed a memorandum of agreement that if the building permit is granted, and if I wish to purchase, that is not I, but Santa Barbara Institute, uh, that we've already agreed upon the price. Because I can tell you, this is public, they paid 125,000 euros for, this five for the five hectares, um, but they can't use it. And they have a debt they need to pay off. Mm -hmm. And so, but he's been very supportive. I stayed in his home when I was here for almost two weeks. Uh, Francesco's just been lovely to work with. He's a very sincere Dharma student, uh, a student of the Institute, a student of His Holiness. And so then I wanted to, we don't have much money, but I, I wanted them to have some profit. And so I said, well, how about if we get the building permit, would you be content if we offered you 150,000? So not a big profit, but something. Um, and he said, yes, that's very good. And so we, now we have a signed, a signed document, a memorandum of agreement, uh, because if the building permit is granted, suddenly the value of the property will go up, definitely up. Uh, but they're not in for this for profit. I'm not in for this as a businessman. So, um, so what I requested was from the council, the local council right here, uh, is here are two ideas. One, if we only build meditation cabins, how many would you allow? If you would allow meditation cabins and a meditation lodge, and I was asking a 40-room meditation lodge, then how many cabins would you allow? But I think, as a, on the basis of this conversation with, um, with, uh, with, um, with Giorgio, I think his vision is better. And that is, I think a lot of you know me enough, you know I'm not a competitor, a competitor for mundane things. It's just not my nature. It's just personality. And so it never occurred to me that I would want to somehow compete with Lama Tsongkhab Institute. It's a crazy idea, and never my idea. And so as soon as I learned this property was available, the first thing I did was write to Lama Zupakarmachi and said, Rinpoche, this is in your backyard of one of your major centers. Do you have any vision, any desire, you or Tsongkhapa Institute, to purchase this property and develop it? And if you do, then I'll just rejoice. And then he wrote right back by way of Roger, and he said, no, we have no plans, and so you go for it. You go for it. And so that was the first thing to do, that there would be no friction, no tension, anything like that with Lama Zupan and myself, or FPMT, or Tsongkhapa Institute. Uh, if you're interested in history, for a little while there was just miscommunication, that's all it was. And so there was a bit of tension, that's all history now. Complete history, so it's completely completely at ease and at rest. So, but I, I think all of you maybe didn't hear, 
uh, Giorgio has already written up some very tentative architectural, architectural designs and also have some idea for the individual cabins. And the, their vision right here, basically, on this flatland here would be where the lodge is. We will have access, make something of a road there, we'll have parking, uh, but just 20 rooms, two stories, 20 rooms, and it has to be lower than the, the top of the hill, that's, which is very easy, because that's something of a landmark. So that we don't we don't disturb at all. Um, but I was actually, as I listened to it today, it took me about five seconds to be very happy with that, because I was asking for a forty-room lodge, where the rooms could be used for single or double, and then we could hold retreats for eighty people, like that week-long retreats and so forth and so on. Um, but actually, when I think of that, I start to feel tired immediately. <laughs> oh my God! I've got to build. I've got to. I have to maintain this. I have to. Ay, 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 I just want to be a yogi. That's all I want to be. And so when he suggested. 20 rooms, then I'm thinking 20 cabins, 20, 20 rooms for long-term yogis. And whenever we want to do a week-long retreat or weekend, anything like that, Tsongkhapa Institute loves to, to host us. And it's income for them, which is very good. I don't need any income from that. I mean, just enough, enough to live on. So then it's complete complementarity between what they're doing, because they have no plan and no ability on their land to create a center for long-term, really serious yogis. It's just not part of the vision at all, and they can't do it. So this would be completely complementary. This would be only for long-term yogis. And my utter commitment is to create the best environment we can, and then I would give a lot of time to this. I'm not looking anywhere in the United States now. This is it. Uh, for I would spend months a year and really try to give the kind of guidance that I've been able to give, especially to the 36 people. I'm sorry I was not able to meet with everybody, I just have limited energy. But if I'm here, uh, then I would be seeing people regularly and just to try to create the most optimal circumstances in every way, the environment, everything, uh, to facilitate people. First of all, achieving shamatha, and then everything else. You know, shamatha, uh, shamatha and then vipassana, of course, and the, the path that you all know so well, that I'm most familiar with and have the greatest faith in is this extremely straight path, Shamatha Vipassana Tektra And augment that in any way you wish. It's not exclusive, it's not sectarian, but that's what I have very strong faith in. And that's the transmission that I can pass on. So 20 rooms in a very green, they, the big emphasis on this being very environmentally friendly. They would like to have the roof of the meditation lodge be full of vegetation. So if you flew over, you'd hardly see us at all. And individual cabins of wood, maybe a bit of wood and stone, but also as invisible as possible, nestled here and there, here and there. Uh, they, they also were suggesting we should have organic orchards. I think I could live with that. <laughs> you know, and organic gardens. And that will be off the grid as much as possible. There's a stream, a lovely stream, that flows right on the edge of the property, but not all year round. But just up the hill, there's a region that has been called for many, many years, maybe centuries, uh, good water. Good water. Aquabon. Aquabon. Uh, and so they wouldn't call it for no reason. If it were just dry dirt, they wouldn't say, you know, they would say dry yeah. dirt. <laughs> uh, and so it seems very likely that, there's, uh, that a, a well could be sunk there, probably not very deep, and then we could be off the grid for water. We're getting a lot of sun here, you can see as much as possible, off the grid for electricity, but if we need it, it's right there. 
And what Georgia was saying is that for water and electricity, uh, this is part of the municipality. So we can have access to water and electricity from the municipality, but that would be only for emergency. If you go through a drought or whatever happens, then we're not stuck. You know, we can still cook our food and so forth. Uh, they've already given thought to sewage, of ways that we can recycle the sewage water. So just overall make this kind of a, like a, an ecological utopia. Uh, this is how the whole planet should be, right? And in terms of Dharma, this is how the whole world should be, the people <laughs> devoting themselves to Dharma. Uh, so that's pretty much it. Um, all the signs so far are very good, very encouraging. There's been no, no negative response at all. Uh, and so he's going to start, start the negotiation, going back and forth. That, it will be a negotiation. But there are also some points that are absolutely clear from my side. The municipality would like this to be a business because then you get more taxation. And I said, well, it's not going to be a business, so it would have to be, we're finished. You know, there are just some things that are not negotiable. This is not going to be a business. I'm not a businessman. And so I said this can be seen as research, as education, or as something spiritual. But it's not for profit, and that's not negotiable. And so they will not get much taxes from us. But in terms of other ways, having multiple universities affiliated here for coming for research, people coming here for long-term retreat, affiliation with the Tsongkhab Institute, so more people coming for long-term retreats and so forth. Uh, so that's pretty much it. So yes. that's in terms of kind of like the Dharma side. Uh, that's what I can share right now. And we should know by the end of this year, November, December, they, sh they should have made a decision uh, because it's community-oriented and not simply a business, then the local communi uh, community, I think they have three months, I was told earlier, once the proposal is very clear and the, the governing council is happy with it, the negotiation is finished, then it goes to this, this community here. And then if they have any objections or concerns, they get to express them. This is exactly right. I'm not coming in as a conquistador. I'm coming in as hopefully a, a good neighbor. And so if they have any reservations, then we want to, to address them and make sure that everybody's happy. Tsongkhapa Institute will be happy. We want them to be happy, and of course, this is a place, maybe we should just call it Sukhavati. <laughs> a happy place. <laughs> a happy place, that's easy. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's, the, that's kind of the lay of the land there. I told Giorgio, I gave him some information here that he didn't know, because there are, especially those areas that were already a bit open. This, proper, this property right now is already zoned. And so in some areas, like up there, if you wanted to put in vineyards, you can't. You can't. They, up there on the top, they want that as it is. It's something of a landmark. And other areas where there are big trees, you can't touch it. But there are multiple parcels within this five-hectare property that are already zoned for agriculture, right? Well, those areas that are already zoned for agriculture, that's where we would shift the zoning from agriculture to meditation cabins, uh, but, but the areas that are well, well grown in, no. And so, but the point that I made to Giorgio, that's actually fairly important, and that is in terms of the placement of cabins. I said, well, if, if all possible, it's not a deal breaker, but it's definitely preferential. I would like the cabins to have view. When you're up here with this kind of view and then not to have the view for your cabin doesn't make mm -hmm. much sense. I said, oh, I didn't know that, good. So that'll be part of the negotiation. I will try to be off the grid as much as possible, and uh, we're thinking of 20 cabins, and then the 20-room lodge. That's pretty much it. Yeah, even 30 cabins. And there are even maybe even 30. 30 I mean, 50 people achieving shamatha, as far as I'm concerned, is better than 40, right? Uh, so that's that.
So, but I think, um, where is, uh, where is Anna? Anna. Is she gone? Is she still Anna. here? Anna. Anna. Oh, there's Anna. Yeah, thank you. So, Anna, you heard everything because you were, you were quite in close proximity. But I'll turn to, um, to this guy here, <laughs> uh, whatever his name is. Um, in terms of details, because you heard pretty much everything, but, you, but of course you probably don't have an eidetic memory, there's perfect memory. So what can you share that you heard from Giorgio in a nice loud voice? Ah, in a loud... Okay. <clears throat> well, well, first just the impression is that Giorgio is very... Oh. Maybe you can stand. Okay. Be an orator. You're in Italy. Okay. Now orate. <laughs> well, what I can say about Giorgio is that um, he's been very kind, he's doing a lot of work. And that he produced, um, um, you know, a wonderful, um, wonderful materials about all the, um, all the sites of the of the land. And um, <clears throat> when we started, he first said that this area could be the place where we can have the main meditation lodge, with uh, with around 20 uh, rooms. And then after after talking with Alan, uh, Alan emphasized also the need to have uh, uh, um, cabins with views. Okay. Because originally what Giorgio had in mind was to have the cabins just over the hill, in that beautiful area just over the hill, which is very secluded, but also there, there are no views there. And then uh, uh, we asked uh, if uh, that area could be expanded. Okay? And, so Alan, um, and so Giorgio looked at the, um, uh, at the plants and, at the plants, and he saw uh, that the area where th this actual area could be also could be could be also we could have cabins here that have a view and Alan has asked uh, for cabins that have a view either to the valley or to the or to the sea okay and so Alan uh, and Giorgio said he's been he's going to work on that um, so th these are the really the, the ah, and the main points of course as, as Alan has, has mentioned already to have all green roofs green rooftops um, using these local plants and so, so that basically, even from above you, you won't be seeing much. So it will be really almost at zero environmental impact. So that would be very important. And so Alan has also mentioned about, you know, energetic, uh, in terms of ener in terms of electricity, in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, uh, in terms of water and sewage. This is all we, we plan to be um, as, um, as independent, as self-sufficient as possible. And including thinking a well, probably, since this uh, the stream is seasonal, it dries up during the summer, but it seems very likely that if we, if we dug a well, uh, that this could be the source of water, not only for the people living here, but also for the agriculture. I would, I'd really like to make this as, as bountiful in terms of vegetables and fruits and everything else as possible, uh, that even food-wise, we're as much off the grid as we can be. We won't be entirely, but as much as possible. What's that? Solar energy for light. Oh, solar energy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Off the grid with the electricity right here being only in emergency or, yeah. But no, they, everybody would like us to be off the grid. I mean, one, one of the most precarious things about the modern world is the, the economy to come. We don't know. So the less we're reliant on anybody else's economic fiascos, uh, the better. Okay, and, um, and maybe just the last thing is that there are already fruit trees yeah. over there, so quite, quite a lot. So that, that's, a, that's a very good, very, very nice, very nice to see. Yeah, yeah and they're growing obviously with no irrigation, they're just there, and yeah. it's uh, apples, oh, we saw an apple and pear already there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah. 
I have a question because I was thinking about uh, the relationship between uh, the center and the university. Yeah. And I think that in the main building we could have laboratory. For sure, for sure. Because this is reinforced. Yes. That we're, we're very serious about having the research here, that it's open to that. Yeah. Uh, because we'd like to do something here that is of great significance and not only for Buddhists. Yeah. If we have people here achieving shamatha, that will be very, very important for Buddhism because many, many people think it's not possible anymore. So we have to show. Yeah. We can't just give good yeah. Dharma talks, right? Uh, but this is to, I mean, we're, we're Mayana Buddhists here, so we're here not to just do something for ourselves or just for Buddhism. And so whatever we discover, whatever is achieved here, then the way to make that go out into the world is by way of science. It's skillful means. And of course, nobody's using anybody. But they're very interested. But then it goes into the public domain. And there's a way to do this very cleanly. Because what's very easy to happen here, which has happened so many times in the past, is somebody achieves some you know, extraordinary state of insight or realization, shamato or vipassana or what have you. And then that person becomes celebrity. You know? I have not only zero interest, but kind of zero tolerance. I just don't want that. I don't want it for anybody. I don't, obviously don't want it for me. But I don't want it for anybody else that I'm working with. If that's what we want to do, go, some, go someplace else. Make, make a big name for yourself. So the question is, and it's a very good question, is that you can ask, you know, so many yogis that I've known, again, Chamba, Wandu, and so forth, and they'll say, oh, I have no realization, I have no, you know, meditating for 40 years in retreat, you know, and they, no realization, you know, you're like, that's all fine, you know, it's all fine when you're with Buddhists. But with one, when, when one yogi, Losan Gatso, no, yeah, uh, Losan Tenzin, the one who was a, a, a soldier and then at the age of 48 became a yogi. When he was invited to Harvard, uh, His Holiness encouraged him to go. And they invited him to Harvard. Herbert Benson invited him there to do studies on him as a Tumo adept. And then His Holiness told him, if they ask you about your realization and so forth, do not say you don't have any. Otherwise they'll wonder why I sent you. you know? And so then you must be very candid. Um, but how can this be done in a way that is scientifically viable, but in a way also protects the ancient themes of Buddha Dharma, that you don't broadcast? You don't, unless you're like Dupanamaje. If you're Buddha, then you say whatever you like. You know, if you're Milarepa, say whatever you like. But if you're somewhere along the path, it's better to keep quiet. And they all say this, and I absolutely am committed to that. Uh, well, there's a way to do it very cleanly. And it's like if you have people with a disease or you know, something like that, and you're doing research, you don't let out their names. It's very standard in, in, in a variety of re scientific research. And so we can, say, we can simply give people pseudonyms, but then we can publish. We have, we have Jack and Jill and Molly, and they've all achieved shamatha, and you will never find out who they are. If they want to say, that's their business. But for the sake of themselves, it would be better not to, so they can continue on the path and not get stuck. Because as soon as they're a celebrity, then you can easily get stuck, right? Uh, so it can all be done anonymously. You know. But then the word can go out also, publicly, to our Dharma centers all over the world. A in Castellina, there are people that are definitely achieving jamata, and we would invite Lama Zubarambache, His Holiness, Kandola, and so forth. Is this really true, or are we just puffing ourselves up and making up false stories? You know, public, totally transparent. But also, if we have scientists coming in from the very beginning, then the idea here is to have a 3D map of the nine stages of shamatha. We have a perfectly good map already from thousands of yogis who've traveled that path and they've told us here are the nine stages.
But how does your brain change? In terms of EEG, MRI, how does your brain change? It's definitely changing. Because the first sign, as you might recall, the first sign when you're actually achieving shamatha is some pressure on the top of your head, right up here. Something's happening in your brain. It has to be. And we have no idea what, right? And so all the way along, EEG, to know if we had 20, 30, 40, 50 people, imagine, who are proceeding along these paths, then if you have 50 people, and, and you have 50 people over time who've achieved stage two, well, do 50 brain scans of EEG, and you're going to be able to find what are the, what's the signature, what's the commonality. Everybody's EEG is unique, but then you can say, this is the signature for stage two. And then you go another two months, three months, whatever goes by, this is the signature for stage three. You know, if you have 20, 30, 40 people, then you can come up with some very, very clear results all the way through, however long it takes. And if it takes two years, it takes two years. If it takes 10 years, that's, an, that's, a, that's a finger snap, really, in terms of the importance of this, significance for Buddhism in the modern world, significance for the scientific understanding of the mind and its potentials. If it's 10 years, so what? You know? Then we just work out, as you know, it's just like moving all the boulders out. But then having signature, EEG, and the MRI maybe once every six months. Pisa's an hour from here. And, you know, no problem. They can pay for it. But go down and have, you know, just hop in a van. Everybody just quietly <laughs> meditating in the van. Go into the magnet, have the MRI done, come right back. You know, once every six months, no big deal. A final point here, and maybe there's more, maybe, again, Anna remembers things that neither of us remember. But you might wonder why I, as an American, and I really love many aspects of America. I mean, California is gorgeous. Uh, but why would I want to come here 7,000 miles away? And the primary reason is something quite practical. I mean, of course, what's not to love? You know, and this is the beauty of California, but with the culture of Europe. Um, that's a difference. We don't generally think of Los Angeles as being a hotbed of, you know, there's Florence, there's Los Angeles. There's, <laughs> we don't generally put those in the same category. But in fact, the main reason is not just the beauty, because there's natural beauty in so many places. Um, and it's not the culture. There's wonderful culture in multiple places. It's actually the connection with the Tsongkhapa Institute. Because if we, if, we had, if we did something like this in California, so much convenient for me, then you know that, right near Santa Barbara. Well, basically there's zero chance of people being able to come to California and stay for more than six months if you're not American. Mm -hmm. You have to leave, and then you can reapply, and maybe, yes, maybe no. Well, this just sucks. And that's true pretty much everywhere, including Australia, New Zealand, and so on. Whereas Sonkaba Institute has been up and running, now very, very obviously a very successful venture. It's been up for like 40 years by now. And I don't know how many seven-year programs they've held, but it's a lot. And in all of these seven-year programs, they've had students from all over the world coming here for seven years of training. And of course, they're not an accredited institution. They're not a university or a college, a Dharma center, which means nothing. You have no standing at all academically. But they've done it. And so I've, I've raised this a couple of times with Filippo, I said, Filippo, if we created here, could we have such a strong affiliation with your institute that we could have students from all over the world be able to come here and get visas that are renewable year after year after year? And so you just don't have to move. You can hunker down and just do what you need to do. And he said, oh, I'm open to that. I don't know of any other place that's possible, really, literally. Mexico, maybe, but not so clear. And other places I travel all over the place, not possible. It's three months, six months, you're finished. So that's a major, a major draw. 
Uh, and then we have this, you know, wonderful Dhamma Center here. And Filippo and I were talking, you know, if we think now, this is all very practical. But if we think, then we allow ourselves to just daydream a little bit. Because you see, this property here for 150,000 euros, we have that much money. Oh, and a practical note, uh, I don't really have any interest in Santa Barbara Institute, based in California, owning something in Italy. It will make much more sense to um, create a new not-for-profit organization here that will be, and then have Italians very much involved, so it's in their country, they know the whole system and so forth, and then I would have a strong influence on it to make sure it doesn't get hijacked. I don't think it would, but you have, have safeguards mm -hmm. that this is going to be my final major offering, I think, to the world in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. At least it certainly can be. If it is, I would be very happy with this being it. Uh, but then it will be Italy-based, uh, but then the headquarters for other such centers in around the world, Australia, Mongolia, Singapore, Brazil, Mexico, and so forth and so on. Um, so that's, that's why here. Uh, but then, so Filippo and I were talking and saying, you know, if we can start this, then his vision, and I had already thought of this, is then, you know, you, you see the surrounding environment, then, you know, then people could start moving here. And we could have more and more. I asked, I asked uh, uh, Filippo on the drive here, I said, how do people in a place like Casalina, how do they make a living? What kind of work is there? And he went, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> tourism? Really not much. I mean, a bit of farming, but you don't see many farms here, frankly. And so he said, it's a dead town. That's what he said. He lives here. I don't. That's what he said. That, and the young people are all leaving. You can imagine they don't want to stay there. It's a nice view, but then, you know, it's, it's not Pisa. It's not, you know, it's not anywhere. And so one can imagine that, that town starting to fill up where people are just, you know, they're here for Dharma. And then, as I was envisioning, I, m I mentioned this, I think, in one of the Dharma talks, is that I'm just so obviously Buddhist. I'm not a Christian Buddhist or Hindu Buddhist. I'm not eclectic, like a little bit of everything. I'm just a Buddhist. And so for people coming to this property, if I'm living here much of the year, primarily it will be people who are really drawn to Buddhism, if I'm kind of the primary teacher for it. And I'd love to have other teachers, Kandola and others, come. But then the vision is much larger than Buddhism. And so as I've been daydreaming, you know, there are properties around here half an hour away. Imagine a similar property, but it's Christian. Mm -hmm. And it's led by a Christian contemplative. And over yonder is an Advaita Vedanta one. And over yonder is a Taoist one. And that we're all in this network, all of us running our own operations, all of us drawing from our own traditions, but coming in this field where we're creating a contemplative environment in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And this is very much Filippo's uh, vision as well. That just becomes more of a Dharma land. You know? But kind of how we would love to see the whole world. There's multiple traditions going to their core and not getting caught up in the institutions and the politics and all of that. And then having these friendly relationships. You know, friendly relationships. I might pop over, over the Christian, Christian center and teach a bit of shamatha, drawing from their sources, which I can do. And likewise for the others. Cause, so that's kind of the larger vision. Anything left out so far? Okay. Is that pretty much it? <laughs> this is true. This is true. If I die in the next few years, this is going to be kind of a problem. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping so. hoping so. But I can certainly envision it. And I think now you don't need me to persuade you. If you needed any persuading before, you don't need it now. It's kind of like just let your imagine, imagination flow. Imagine 50 people here in full-time retreat. You know. 
and then having high-speed internet, so we have access to his whole net Dalai Lama, Kandola, Lama Zerbaramache, Lamas, other Lamas from the, from the Nyingma lineage, the Dujom lineage, and so on, that we could be consulting them if we need to. You know, I have my limitations, of course. So maybe issues will come up that I'm not familiar with. I can't give guidance. Good, then we call them on Skype. And my friend at the Escuela Superior Santana, that is Masumo Berkamasco, a good friend of mine, uh, and I've, I've lectured at his, at his institute a number of times, uh, he is he's really an expert, as, as you know, on virtual reality. So as the, as the technology develops over the next 5, 10, 15 years, then this could be a hub. We could have a cave, a virtual reality <laughs> cave here. And then we could, you know, I could then finally, without achieving, you know, the, the uh, first Arya Bodhisattva stage, I could emanate 100 avatars at once. <laughs> <laughs> just don't tell anybody. <laughs> Say, oh, he's so amazingly achieved, you know, he's just creating avatars all over the place. Don't tell him I got a little bit of help from my technology. But, uh, you know, the, the, the possibilities here are really, they, they expand the imagination. So, anything coming up from your side? You've seen the land now, you've walked the land, you see the view. Still, over there, even from here, you can see the Mediterranean, right? And all the way along. So this is the view I was talking about. And then, right, I can, one other point I can mention is that I can't remember whether it's this one if, it's not one, if it's not that house right there, the orange roof. If it's not that one, then it's one right next to it. I think it may be that one. Uh, there's a house with one hectare, two and a half acres, immediately adjacent to this property, so sharing the same, same border. And it's owned by an old friend of mine who for something like five or six, seven years was the director of the Songkhab Institute. Her name is Laura Palati, and she's, um, she's an old Dharma student, very committed. She's also a very successful businesswoman. And I'm hoping to see her today, but she had business in, in Florence, so I'm not sure I will be able to. But I've, I've seen her many times. I've led retreats at Tsongkhapa Institute when she was the director. We have a very nice friendship. So in any case, the point here is that if it's not that house, it's something right next to it. It's a, um, a 500 square meter house, three stories with 13 rooms. And it's in good shape and it belongs to her parents, uh, who are relatively affluent, obviously. They have multiple properties. And so they have this 13-room house with, on two and a half acres with this view. You know, you look out and that's what you see from the house. And um, you can't do any more building on it, but it is, you know, and, it, and the house is in good shape. They're not poor, so they're not let it run down. Um, and they, and so the Mr. and Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Palati, the of my, my generation may be a little bit older. Uh, they were kind of anticipating that, that one of their two daughters would have a family and take over the take over the family house. That's not happening. One one daughter got hijacked by an American. It happens occasionally. <laughs> and so she's living off in New York City. And then Laura um, has her own home. She doesn't really want to move into you know, a 13-room house. And so her parents would like to move into a smaller house, uh, not too far away, maybe you know, an hour away or so, but they'd like to sell, sell their house. Um, and it would be one, about one point, their asking price, and that can all, everything can be negotiated, but their asking price for this beautiful property, it's just a classic Italian villa. You know, it's not opulent, it's not like, like you've never seen anything like it. It's just really nice, you know, and they showed me all the bedrooms, they gave me a guided tour. Very, very pleasant people. But they'd like to sell their house. It seems like they're not in any big hurry, uh, and Laura, and they would like for us to have it. You know, we need to pay, but they would, they would be very happy if that's how the house was used. Uh, and they would like for their house 1.1 million euros for, for the property, for this, for this view, and the size of the house, and all of that, and then immediate proximity. 
that could be very, very useful as kind of administrator headquarters. But also, you can see there's a lot of work that will need to be done here, an awful lot of work. And I'll be happy to be participating in that. I'm not going to just come in at the end and say, oh, are you finished? <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be a lot of work, and I, and I think a lot of it will need to be volunteer work. We don't, we're not just bringing bags of gold here. But if we can somehow acquire that, that house, then that could be a place. If we could have 10, 15, well, 10 or 12 people, maybe even more, coming and staying there, and then, you know, living very, very cheaply, and then, whether it may be, you know, then start building this place up. Obviously, the trails, just for starters, we need to have better trails, you know, uh, but to build this whole place up. So it could be an administrative headquarters. It could be a place for staff. It could be a place for visiting lamas. It could be a place for, for visiting scientists. Like University of Trento, it's a number of hours away from here, let alone scientists from elsewhere in Europe or abroad. I've now already set up a kind of a, a collaboration uh, encouraged correspondence between James Elliott, who is a PhD in neuroscience and vice president of Santa Barbara Institute, based in Santa Barbara. So him, and then there's another neuroscientist I know, great Nick Greg, Greg Simpson, who's been working on software, EEG software, to help people develop attention skills. And he was in the scientific study way back in 1992 with Francisco Varela, with Bridget Davidson and Cliff Saron, when we went up to the mountains above Dharamsala and were doing research in the yogis. Greg Simpson was part of that group. Uh, and so he's very supportive. He loves all of this. And he's based in the San Francisco Bay Area. So Greg Simpson, and then James Elliott, and then Andrea Capellari. No, no, excuse me. Um, no, Massimo Bergamasco. Massimo Bergamasco, who is at the Scuola, a virtual, virtual reality expert, robotics expert. And then there's a colleague of his who I also met uh, named Andreas, Andreas, who's a neuroscientist. So I've got them all in collaboration with each other. I said, wouldn't you like to get to know each other? So this could be international collaboration. And on a, a little bit of a personal note with regards to James. James has been my right, my, well, one of my two arms for a long time now. Uh, pretty much ever since the founding of the Santa Barbara Institute in 2003. And he's married to a lovely woman who you all know or know of, Sange. He's Bhutanese and just one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. And they have two adorable little daughters. And so I wrote to James maybe a week or two ago. And I said, James, the center of my gravity is moving to Italy. <laughs> you know, there's just nothing happening in Santa Barbara. I can't even lead week-long retreats there. Because the two, two, two retreat centers have shut down. There's only one now. And they're pretty much booked. And so, and they're expensive. And so there's nothing much for me to do there. You know, except for being in solitary retreat, which is, you know, plan B. <laughs> uh, but if something's to happen here, I wrote to James, I think this is not a violation of, pri of his privacy, and I said, James, if this happens here on this property, with all these affiliations with the universities and so forth, uh, would you be open to the possibility of moving with your whole family to Italy and finding employment with one of the multiple universities that, I'm, that I've you know, set up affiliations with? Would you be interested in that? And he said, definitely yes. <laughs> And so then he and his whole family would come here. I could keep my right arm, because Sangi's my right arm. <laughs> and she could come, and, uh, and they'd be happy to have the little daughters be tri trilingual. <laughs> and uh, Zonka, which is the language of Bhutan, which they already speak. And then English they've got. And then, of course, Italian. <laughs> so I think that's pretty much the picture, yeah? So are any questions from your side? The nunnery, it wasn't really a, uh, no, it was never a nunnery, it was the, there were two things. There was a magnificent property uh, that uh, had been a, um, 
an Episcopalian monastery. It was monks. It was monks. And that was a place, it was gorgeous, and maybe on the most beautiful property in all of Santa Barbara. I won't elaborate here. But a forest fire burned it to the ground, right? Burned it to the ground. And they were selling this, this property for three and a half million dollars, but it's dirt. And uh, we just didn't have the money. We had the vision, and, we, and they had, in fact, a 40-room contemplative monastery there, you know, which was my vision all along. Just didn't have the money, so it slipped through our fingers. We looked at another property up in the, up in the hills, the forested hills, mountains, outside of Santa Barbara, which had been a Presbyterian children's camp, and it wasn't really quite ideal. You could hardly build anything on it, even though it was 250 acres. The zoning was too tight. There was another property up in the crest, magnificent property. That was seven million. That slipped to our fingers, but we couldn't build on it much anyway. And then the final one, which was kind of like the, okay, if not this, then I'm tired, uh, was this 90-room uh, Roman Catholic seminary. 90 rooms, and it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, the buildings are okay. They're, they're really, really not bad. But the property itself has a fantastic view, and it's seven minutes drive from my home. And it's about $8 million, and probably about $2 million to, to renovate it, because it was built 50 years ago. And we could have done a lot with that property, uh, but it cost us $8 million, and we are about $7.5 million <laughs> The money just wasn't there. You know, it just wasn't there. And I understand, because you know, right now, Santa Barbara Institute's a virtual institute for all practical purposes. My home is you know, the most headquarters it has, because it's office space and things like that. Um, so the money just wasn't there, and I understand why it wasn't. Because it's hard to go from, from zero to an $8 million property. You know, that's hard to do. Whereas, if at the end of this year, this is kind of a very important point. At the end of the year, if things turn out as I think they will, I think, we're gonna, I think they're going to say yes. Filippo has lived here for years, he thinks they're going to say yes. Jojo, there was not one pessimistic word that he said. Uh, we can always be surprised, but there's no reason to think we'll be unhappily surprised. If that happens, then I'm going to send out a message to the entire SBI email list, which is very international, and I'm going to basically tell them it's this or nothing. This is the one. And if, and if there's not interest, and, and we'll go everywhere, we'll do absolute flat-out best to try to raise the money to be able to do this and quickly and not spend five, ten years building. Because I'm not getting any, any younger. We need to have this up and running, and then I will give a great deal of time to it uh, and get the visa thing worked out. That's enormously important. But it's going to be single-pointed. And it was kind of, there was a bit of a, kind of a tension, frankly, for a couple of years, because there was this marvelous property in Santa Barbara, which is so fantastically convenient and gorgeous, you can do everything there. But then I learned about this one, and uh, I learned about this just when the property in Santa Barbara seemed to be not possible. So I focused on this. And then as soon as I started this, then the other one seemed possible. So I was going back and forth trying to, you know, juggle. And now one ball, 99% sure, has dropped. Somebody else is going to buy it. Stop thinking about it. So then it's samadhi. It's single-pointed attention on this property. And I'll just be very candid. Um, I'll be 67 next year. And my health is good, and my father's 91, and I come from a long-lived family, pretty much across the board. Genetically, I'm in good shape. Um, but step, and nevertheless, 67 is 67. It's not 47. And I'm figuring, okay, it's not going to get any better than this. And for 150,000 euros to buy the property, you're not going to get anything better than this. You can't buy property like this in America at all, period, right? And so here it is. We've all seen it. 
And so we're going to go flat out and say, this is a property, and this is a place I'm willing to invest a great deal of time. Investment is completely supporting me on this. She said, Alan, go where the opportunities are. And she loves Italy. And so she's totally supportive. And so it's going to be this. And we'll do everything we can to raise funds for this, to get this place developed and built and running as soon as possible. And, and just to be very candid, there's not a threat, but it's just reality. And I think we should be honest with each other. That's it. Is if the energy doesn't, ha doesn't happen for this, you know, we get $400,000 pledge and then it just pisses, you know, fizzles out. And we don't, have, we don't have people really coming together with major commitment to do the administering and, you know, really run this as a business, because in a way it has to be a business, and I'm not a businessman. If the support doesn't congeal around this property, then I'm going to go into semi-retirement. <coughs> and that will become less and less semi. Because I believe in what I'm saying. I mean, it's just that simple. I really believe in that. That's yeah. I think I can. You probably figured that already, but it is true. And I don't need anything. I mean, I need ten dollars a day. That's what I need, and I've got it ten dollars a day. And so then I'm gonna, my life would become a lot simpler. But I would much rather do this. But then we'll have to see. And we'll need a number of Italians because this is your homeland and the language and all of that. We'll need a number of Italians to say we're absolutely committed to this, completely committed to this and other Europeans as well, but it's going to be an international plea. And if we can get the visas, then, you know, we can have people coming from Australia and from Brazil, anywhere, and all funneled here. This is where it's happening. And just a, maybe a final point, and that is I asked Filippo, because his Holiness has been to Tsongkhapa Institute a number of times over the last 40 years, and I said, when, when do you have a scheduled visit? When, when might he come next? And Filippo told me, well, his Holiness said, when you get your Buddhism and Science Academy going, then I'll come. Mm -hmm you know, to inaugurate it or really formally get it launched. And His Holiness has asked the, the minister, administrators of the Tsongkhap Institute four times, create an academy for the, for the interface between Buddhism and science. And I just hear this and my heart sings. That means I don't have to do that. You know, because all I want to do is meditate, really, and help people meditate. That's really all I really want to do. I think I'm probably going to be phasing myself out of CEB, you know, slowly. I don't want to shock anybody. But other people can do that. I think they can do it as well as I can. But this, nobody else is going to do it. That's kind of thing. If I die, this problem is not going to happen. If I don't know anybody right now who can jump into my shoes and run. I wish there were a dozen people. I just don't know any. In which case, I have to be alive for this. But I don't have to be alive for CEB. Other people can do that. It's a three-week training. Big deal. You know, it's not that big a deal. Or a five-week training, whatever. So, so the end of this year will be a big turning point to either absolute commit commitment from my side and other number of people financially and with skills and everything all coming together as something totally international. And of course we have the larger vision of this open mind study. I think you've all seen the, the slides for that. But what's become just kind of not quite painfully obvious but searingly obvious is well it's very nice to have a global global vision. Where have you succeeded? And the answer right now is nowhere. It's just a really cool idea. Right? And so succeed someplace and succeed quickly. Create the environment. I'll give it my full commitment and then succeed. And if we create, succeed here, we have one people and five and ten, fifteen people achieving shamatha. And then, of course, after enjoying it for a day, then, you know, <laughs> proceeding on the path, get off the on ramp and get onto the freeway. If we succeed here, 
then you can imagine, I mean, you know, it's not much of a stretch of imagination, how many other people will be inspired? You know, in, Italy, in, in Australia, where there's a lot of energy, but when they hear people actually, you know, entering the path, and in India itself, you know, in India itself, His Holiness has just given a one and a half million dollars to creating a center in Bangalore. You know, it's slow starting, it's going to be more of a mind center to start with. But that's the thing, you have, we have to succeed someplace. And where something like this, Pisa is there and Florence is there, the pivot with this place. I just don't think, I don't feel inspired now to look anywhere else. And I have no, no energy at all for looking for anything in the United States. So that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah. Anything else coming up? Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, we will, it, it, there, there's a fairy tale, what is it? Some, anybody, uh, some, maybe Mary Kay probably remembers better than I. It's the little chicken who has wanted to bake cake. Oh, yes. The Little Red Hen. Rhonda, tell us the story of the Little Red Hen. It's a very important story. Everybody has to listen to this story. This is oral transmission coming from Rhonda. The Little Red Hen. If you don't know it, learn it now. Well, ancient memory, actually. So the Little Red Hen wanted to bake some bread and wanted... Yep. Tell us the fairy tale. Okay. So the abbreviated version, Little Red Hen wanted to bake some bread. So he set off, but needed some help from, from his friends, her friends. And, um, you know, asking all the way along, you know, I'm going to make some bread. Who's going to help me um, plant some seeds to grow the wheat so we can make the bread? And the friends would all say, no, not I. <laughs> so the little red hen went along a little bit further and asked somebody else, Please, will you help me? I want to make some bread, but I need someone to help plant the seeds to grow the wheat, and so on. Anyway, so, same story. No, not I. Everybody wanted to eat the bread. Yes. <laughs> but? But nobody wanted to help plant the seeds, plow the land, thresh the wheat, and then make the bread. So, the little red hen had to do it all alone. So little red hen um, made the bread and said who's going to help me eat this bread oh I will I will I said no I will eat this <laughs> I didn't remember the end that's a pretty pretty <laughs> tough end <laughs> but uh, if you know if we had a 20 room lodge and 30 cabins how long do you think it would take to fill them Wait. About that long. <laughs> Everybody will want to eat the bread. You know, especially if we can say, hey, we're doing this so it can be really inexpensive and people can come and I'll be here. We'll fill it up, you know, like overnight. That's going to be easy. I have no qualms about that. But are those same people who would like to eat the bread, are they willing to come here, roll up their sleeves and really put in the work? And people who have money, you know, are they willing to invest in the future? In the future of Buddha Dharma, the future of the planet? Um, so that's where the, the that's where the fork in the road will come. If there's that support, then it has complete support for me, yeah, and we'll make some bread together. <laughs> okay. Very good. All right. Shall we, is it puja time? Yes. Shall we do the shower of blessing?
Andre, please don't let me forget this. Okay, just don't let, don't let, don't let me forget it. Oh, nice. Oh. I know when my friend Klaus Hebben invested, purchased a very large property, about 60 acres, considerably larger than this, in a valley in Phuket. Uh, he purchased a whole valley. And he had his vision. He had his vision of creating a school, an international school, creating a world-class sports center, creating a mine center. And I was, I was with him when it was all just like this, this scrub. It was, and, and, and he was walking around and he said, and this is, and it was like this, except for Thailand. And he said, and this is where the mine center will be. And we walked over and this is where the school will be. And this is where the sports center will be. And it's just all scrub. It's just nothing there, kind of flat land in a, in a valley with jungle all the way around. And then that was in about the year 2007 or so. No, 2009, I think. 2008. And, uh, but I was walking on the land that would become the mine center where I held many eight-week retreats. But it was just nothing there. And then he envisioned it, and then you just saw it all happen. And he put in $100 million. $100 million. World-class $70 million sports facility. A $20 million school. The $5 million mind center. But just seeing how that all came out of the vision. You know. And of course, he had an awful lot of money behind it. But we don't need $100 million. You know, we can need one tiny fraction of that. But here... To envision that now, oh, now why that came to mind is that, but I did see it from scratch. It was interesting to be just seeing the raw earth and scrub and what's now there. I mean, a number of you have been there in the recent times. It's just, it's fabulously beautiful. It's incredibly good taste. But the point was when they were just first beginning there, uh, they brought in a shaman, uh, really a, a, a shaman, and he checked out for the, the local spirits, the earth spirits, and so forth and so on. And they first did pujas. You know, with the local community, they're very happy. This brought, brings in a lot of money to the community. They're very happy. But he also wanted for the, just the local spirits, which the Thais believe in as much as you and I believe in viruses and bacteria, come in, we come in peace. And so they made offerings. They, they made a shrine, which was kind of an ecumenical kind of shrine. Um, and so they just made sure everything was fine, you know, that everything was in harmony. And so I don't think we need some special ritual for that right now, maybe later on. Uh, you can imagine where the Nagas are. They'll probably be over in that little, in, in the creek area. You know. And actually, I have good reason to take them seriously. I don't think that's superstition at all. But there are creatures here living, living here, obviously. Animals, obviously, but other spirit, other kind of spirits as well. I believe that. If you believe it, it's your business. But as we, you know, as we are here now and we're sharing this vision, uh, if we just, in, in the course of this practice, we'll, we'll do together. Just most importantly, our... Our core puja is loving-kindness. That whoever may be here, on this property, the surrounding property, Giorgio also, also mentioned, in collaboration with the, uh, with the municipality, that they want to designate some of the land. Our, our property begins right here, but they want to designate surrounding land as a buffer zone, so it will never be built on, because they want to make sure we have peace and quiet. You know, they're thinking 10, 20 years down the road, but we won't have some, maybe, a, who knows, a rock mine, a rock quarry. <laughs> you might mind if I miss that, but you know, we'll probably have to do without that. But there'll be no other building. So they're saying, okay, this area roundabout, this is for agriculture, for local agriculture. Uh, but they want to protect us, because they know, they have a pretty good idea what we like to do. And so already they're very supportive, but as we do this puja together, we won't, it won't take very long.
that we, you know, just send out our well wishes, that kind of that field of loving kindness, whoever may be here. We're coming here only with benevolence. There's not an, even a, like a fraction of something negative that we want to do in our motivation, in the vision. It's all positive for everyone. No one's left out. Not materialist, not atheist, not fundamentalist. Nobody's left out. We're here simply to be a benefit to everyone. So let's just do shower blessings together. I think I'll just recite it in English. That's good enough. And with that, other glasses. Excuse me, Alan. Everybody ready to begin? So I invite you to recite with me if you're so inclined. We begin with refuge in the shower of blessings. Namo in the Lama who is the embodiment of the Sugatas, of the nature of the free jewels. I together with the beings of the six realms take refuge until our enlightenment. Namo in the Lama, who is the embodiment of the Sugatas, of the nature of the three jewels, I, together with the beings of the six realms, take refuge until our enlightenment. Namo, in the Lama, who is the embodiment of the Sugatas, of the nature of the three jewels, I, together with the beings of the six realms, take refuge until our enlightenment. Then we go to Bodhicitta. For the sake of all beings, I generate the spirit of awakening and cultivate the realization of the Lama as Buddha. By means of enlightened activity, I shall train each being according to their needs, and I vow to liberate the world. For the sake of all beings, I generate the spirit of awakening and cultivate the realization of the Lama as Buddha. By means of enlightened activity, I shall train each being according to their needs, and I vow to liberate the world. For the sake of all beings, I generate the spirit of awakening and cultivate the realization of the Lama as Buddha. By means of enlightened activity, I shall train each being according to their needs, and I vow to liberate the world. And then the ten lines we recite once. Lama, personal deities and dakinis, please come forth and be seated on the sun, moon, and lotus seat. With my body, speech, and mind, I reverently pay homage. I make outer, inner, and secret offerings. I acknowledge and disclose my degenerate and broken samayas, vices, and obscurations. I rejoice in the practice of secret mantra. Please turn the wheel of dharma of secret mantra which matures and liberates. I pray do not pass into nirvana but remain. I dedicate the essence for sentient beings. May we realize the perfect Vajra nature. And then the shower of blessings based on the seven line prayer. 
Ah, in the space in front of my ordinary body, in the midst of deep and pristine Lake Danakosha of Odayana, filled with water endowed with eight qualities, is a jeweled lotus in full bloom. Upon it sits the Odayana Vajradhara, synthesis of all objects of refuge, gloriously blazing with signs and symbols of enlightenment, embracing his consort, Sogyal. In his right hand he holds a Vajra, in his left a Vas and Skolkap, adorned with silks, jewels, and born ornaments, with the expanse of five-colored lights, they blaze with the glory of great bliss. Surrounded like a cloud by an ocean of the three roots, they gaze upon me, raining down a shower of blessings and compassion. To the essence of all the genas, the deathless embodiments of primordial consciousness, with sincere faith, I constantly pay homage. I offer my body, enjoyments, and collection of my virtues of the three times, imagining them as the clouds of offerings of Samatabhadra. I disclose all my vices and downfalls without exception, accumulated since beginningless time. I take heartfelt delight in the illustrious lies of the protectors, the sole lords of the qualities of all the jinas and their children. With faith I pray, please let fall a great rain of profound and vast dharma, drawing together all the virtues of myself and others for as long as the ocean of realms of beings remains. I shall follow the illustrious life of you, the protector, and dedicate those virtues to the guidance of beings throughout space. Embodiment of all refuges, great treasure of wisdom and love, precious and supreme protector in these evil and degenerate times, I am tormented and afflicted by the proliferation of the five degenerations. And I pray, please, loving heart, attend to me your child. Manifest the power of your compassion from the, from the expanse of your enlightened awareness and bless my reverent heart. Please swiftly display signs and indications and grant me the supreme and mundane cities. For this one, let's recite once in English and then twice in Tibetan. Hung in the northwest frontier of Odiana, in the heart of a lotus, sits the one renowned as Padmasambhava, who achieved the wondrous supreme city and is surrounded by a host of many dakinis. Following in your footsteps, devote myself to practice. Please come forth and bestow your blessings. Guru Pema Siddhi Hum. Hum. Orke yuke nupcham sam bema gesa dombola yamsen shoki mudup ne pema june shesuta kodu kando mambu ko keki jesu daktuki jinge lapshi sheksu su. Guru Pema Siddhi Hum Hum Oki Yuki Nupcham Sam Pema Gesa Dumbola Yamsen Choki Mudu Pema June Shesuta 
Kodu kandu mambu ko kiki jesu datupki jingi lapshi shiksu su guru pema sidi hum. Let's recite one manda, one manda, one mala of the Vajaguru mantra. Om ahum varaguru pema sidi hum. Om ahum varaguru pema sidi hum. So now the, the concluding visualization. Rays of white, red, and deep blue light emerge from the three seed syllables in the Lama's three places, Dissolving into my three places, they purify the obscurations of my body, speech, and mind, and transform them into the Vajra body, speech, and mind. Finally, the Lama and assembly dissolve into light, and as a red and white marked with whom, they dissolve into my heart. And the Lama's mind and my mind indivisibly remain as the conate Dharmakaya, ah, ah.
Mangalam, may all be well. And there's a final dedication of marriage, just one verse. By this virtue, may I swiftly realize the Odiyamna Lama, and may I bring all beings without exception to that state of realization. Now let's just let the imagination play as we continue to dedicate merit. And bear in mind, we've we come here riding quite a big wave. This has been quite a wonderful eight weeks. There's much merit there, much virtue. So by the, vir- the virtue that we've collected individually and collectively, visualize Imagine what you'd love to see manifest here in terms of the facilities, the land itself as it comes to life with fruits and vegetables, flowers. People coming here from all over the world to drink deeply of the nectar of Dharma. Achieving shamatha, reaching the Mahayana path of accumulation, actually reaching it, entering that path. Imagine how extraordinarily pleased the great beings such as His Holiness Dalai Lama and Yang Tanabuchi, Lama Zuppa and others, imagine how extraordinarily pleased they would be to know that this was taking place. But imagine proceeding along, not pausing, but with a sense of urgency for the sake of all sentient beings, for this world that is so troubled, so deeply and so urgently. Imagine people, individuals here, proceeding along the path, applying the full might of their shamatha to the cultivation of insight, gaining a realization of emptiness, arousing, identifying their own pristine awareness, realizing emptiness from this ultimate perspective. 
moving swiftly along the path of accumulation, the path of preparation, abiding here on this hillside, resting in not doing, non-meditation, awareness as open as vast as space, illuminated indivisibly with the light of your own pristine awareness, reaching the first bumi, the first ground, manifesting the qualities that are attributed to this state of realization. And then on this land with the vast sky, the clear sky, the bright sun, with the earth element so luxurious, so verdant, so fertile, the water element right here under the ground and on the, on the border of the ground. The water element, the lake out in the distance, the sea to the west. The fire element, the warm sun. The air element, the cool breeze. And space, so much space, is exactly land like this that is optimal for the practice of the Tutgel, the direct crossing over, where you gaze into space, which after all is a space of your own awareness, and you proceed along the path, this effortless path of the direct crossing over. And these sacred images begin to arise. in this vast expanse of space of the five Buddha families with their consorts, with their entourages, bindus of light, vajras, vajras strands of light, the whole space appearing as divine, all of space. The space of the Dhammadhatu, the land you're on now appearing to you, not visualized, as a pure land, with the Lord of the family, Amitabha, dwelling here, creating the perfect environment, ever so sweet and joyful, proceeding along the path to its culmination. Imagine this prophecy coming true, that on this lineage, a hundred individuals will achieve not only rainbow body, but the great transference rainbow body. It's also the culmination of the path of Kalachakra, a body of empty form. Imagine this hillside as a beacon of light. of bodhicitta spreading out over the world, network with individuals, nodes of light throughout the world, casting back the darkness of this degenerate era and giving everyone hope, whether with or without religious affiliation of this religion or that religion, 
showing people, demonstrating, making manifest to the world the deepest capacities of our own consciousness, encouraging everyone to find their own path and come to its culmination. If it's within your imagination, imagine all of this as a preparation with this meeting of our world with the world of Shambhala. If this doesn't mean anything to you, no problem. Release it. Relax. But if it does mean something to you, what better preparation to hasten that event, to invite that event, to come sooner rather than later. Creating a welcome party, welcome parties around the world, but we start here. Welcome to a new age, a golden era, an age of hedonic prosperity, of bounty, and a world where the world itself becomes a pure land. And many, many, many beings reach the path and proceed along the path to their own fulfillment. Imagine dedicate your merit to the realization of this, the actualization of that which now exists only in the realm of possibility, but it does exist in the realm of possibility, waiting for the right causes and conditions to shift from possibility to actuality. Sarva Mangalam, may all be well. Yeah, picture's probably a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, but before everybody starts to move, um, Catalina, where's Catalina? Catalina, you have a story to tell us. Please stand. Just a little story. Um, my husband and I went to India um, late last year, and um, a friend of us uh, suggested us to go to Soprema and visit a monk that's been um, meditating for 30 years. What's the name? At Nobody least. knows his real name, but everyone calls him Tsampa Lama. Tsampa? Like, retreatant. Ah, cha-cha. Yeah. So we went there to pay yeah, our oh, respects. Sorry. He's the, um, the nephew of Dingo Kinsa Rinpoche. Uh-huh. Yeah. The nephew of Dingo Kinsa Rinpoche. Oh, wow. Quite a lineage. Yes. So we were, we were there to... Um, we were there and, and we pay homage, and then he gave us this little um, bag with this... Long, um, the Dalai Lama went to see him uh, the year before, and he gave him this. Um, uh, many, I, I suppose, but he gave us this to just give to people who really appreciate it. So, so 
so we wanted to share this with you and that's why I brought it and we thought it was a great time to do it today. So Bl Blessing pills from His Holiness by way of a great Dujom lineage yogi. practitioner, yogi. Not Longchen, but no problem, all, same family. <laughs> so if you would, if you would distribute, that'd be very nice. Oh no, no, just one, just just one, and you just pop it right now. Here's the time. Chow down. This is your, this is your appetizer before lunch, which doesn't start for another 15 minutes. So we should be shy. This is brunch. Put it in your mouth, make a prayer. Right hand. That's what I want you to say. There we go. Exactly right. And if it turns out to be LSD, you'll all be very surprised. <laughs> make sure we have Kool Aid. We should have some Kool Aid here. Everybody drink the Kool Aid. We, we can all take it together. <laughs> so it'll be good to think, you know, just kind of now just chatting. Um, I wasn't aware of the amount of ambient noise. It's certainly very, very soft. Um, but it will be something to consider where the cabin should be. I mean, I love views. I really love views, but I also know my, my, my house in Santa Barbara is up on the side of a hill looking right out over the city. Well, all the sound comes up, you know, so it's gorgeous and I love being there because I love views, but all the sound comes up the hill, right? And so that's something we can consider. We'll definitely have choices here if we acquire the property, but that little area, that little, it was just so protected. Yeah, no view, but if you want a view, then you walk for five minutes. Thank you. Sure, we can have multiple platforms. Uh, when people, you know, if people are progressing in the practice and they come to the stage, and it doesn't have to be, you know, decades from now, it can be a few years from now, where people are qualified, qualified enough to start their Tokyo practice, then we can have some Tokyo platforms. One thing about Tokyo is you are adopting particular postures, there's not, nothing bizarre about them, but you don't want anybody to see you. It's very private, it's secret practice. And this is why the Tutkel is not taught very publicly. It really shouldn't be, and I don't. Uh, but the views like out over the Mediterranean there would be just perfect for Tutkel practice. We can have little platforms nestled away, maybe with a little bit of shelter from wind and rain. Uh, but that might be, it might be better, you know. Uh, because what we all, you know, you all now know so well, when you're in strict retreat, uh, it would be very nice to have it really quiet. And there's there's the buzz there's a chainsaw there and there are geese geese over here and so forth, whereas that little that little that little area back there, as soon as I was there, it didn't have the view, but it was so serene and protected. It had kind of the ambience of a refuge. And he was thinking we just have 20, 20 cabins back nestled back there, and let the view be for little platforms and benches and things like that. So this is something we can all brainstorm together. This will this this whole vision here. This will either be a collaborative effort or it won't happen at all, right? And so I'm really welcoming people. People have many different skills. Uh, Doug Wienhoff, who's not here with us now, but very sincere, very dedicated. He has skills as an architect. He's had a lot of experience building meditation cabins. So there's input from a lot of people. 
and it's this, this is this is the I'm I'm the little redhead speaking with no threat that I'll eat all the bread by myself. Um, <laughs> but it will have to be a collaborative effort for people coming with very different skills, and some of the skills will just be muscle, you know, clearing trails and things like that. So, does everybody have your pill, your little yeah. blessing pill? Our medicine, it's, of course, it's not for illnesses, but it is blessing from His Holiness by way of a very accomplished yogi. And I think this has our name on it. So partake and offer your prayers of dedication. Imagine the pill is nectar. Imagine your own body as empty, luminous, and imagine this blessing from His Holiness, clearing out any internal obstacles, any blockages, any obscurations, clearing away obstacles from the path so you can proceed without impediment and dedicate all for the sake of the world, for all sentient beings. Olaso. Thank you, Catalina. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else, or is this a wrap? Oh, I think we want a photo. A photo, yeah? Please, whoever has lit an incense, can you just um, you know, put some water on it? Okay, can I organize the photo taking? Please do. Yes, so we have this map.